Welcome to the Boss Ladies Podcast. I'm Olivia Wary, and as a young female working in the industry of technology, I'm constantly struggling to find my voice and overcome challenges thrown my way. I've decided to have conversations with boss ladies in every industry to hear how they do it. Boss Ladies is intended to inspire women and men of all ages to overcome their fears, explore moonshot thinking, speak up for who they are and what they believe in, and move up in their respective industries. Every day we are faced with challenges, so it is my intention to empower you to get the advice you need by interviewing top executives who have been through it all. On today's episode of Boss Ladies, please welcome Christina Ryan. Christina was recruited as the Chief Executive Officer and Chief Nursing Officer to the Deaconess Women's Hospital in Newburgh, Indiana back in 1999, where she assisted with the initial construction as well as its successful opening. In addition to serving as the CEO and Chief Nursing Officer, Christina sits on several boards including the Indiana Hospital Association, the Indiana Perinatal Quality Improvement Collaborative for the Indiana State Department of Health, the German-American Board of Directors, and Ronald McDonald House Charities. She has countless awards and accomplishments and was appointed by Governor Eric Holcomb to serve on the Board of Trustees for the University of Southern Indiana. Christina has been recognized as one of Becker's Review Top Female Healthcare Executives to Know, the Next Generation of Women's Healthcare Leaders Award, and is the 2018 Athena recipient. We are so excited to have you on the show today, Christina. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on Boss Ladies and taking the time to be here today. I, you know, I can't imagine what you guys are dealing with right now on the front line. So I really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. It's nice to have kind of a little change of pace. I'm sure. And, you know, thank you so much to you and your team and and all frontline workers out there for everything you guys are doing to keep us safe. No problem. I have to say that in the 38 years in healthcare, I have not quite experienced anything like this. Yeah, it's it's really it's really crazy out there. So can you start by telling us a bit about Deaconess and the women's hospital and sort of what your mission is? Sure. The women's hospital actually will have been open 20 years next April. We'll celebrate our, our 20 year birthday, so to speak. It is a freestanding women's hospital that is 50% owned by Deaconess Health System and 50% owned by physicians. So I kind of have the best of both worlds with having all players at the table from um, a board's perspective. So our mission, initially the physicians that approached Deaconess about this concept of a freestanding women's hospital thought that if they had, you know, firsthand involvement in some of the attributes of putting a hospital together that it it might function and run a little bit better. And that's kind of how the vision started for um, this freestanding women's hospital. And basically, we want to provide a full range of services to women and infants in our community. We have all of the subspecialty programs for the, you know, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. So we, we try to think of ourselves as a a community-based full-service women's hospital that you don't necessarily have to travel into, you know, the city for or go to uh, an academic program to receive the the care that you might need. I think that's amazing, and and I love this mission, and I think it's awesome that you're you're leading the charge on this. I want to dive straight into sort of one of the 
the bigger questions out there right now as we're facing this pandemic, which is, you know, there's been a ton of press around women considering giving birth at home as they feel it might be safer. But can you explain why it's still safer to go to a hospital to give birth despite the pandemic rather than attempting to do that at home? I think the bottom line that we all have to understand is if a home birth wasn't initially in that couple's mindset, to change gears now all of a sudden because of this will add even more stress to them as a a couple. And if you look at some of the statistics, first-time moms who want to plan a home birth, of those, probably 37 to 38% of them end up delivering in a hospital to begin with. So I think what we have to do is make sure that we are educating and communicating with these patients enough so that they do feel safe to deliver in the hospital. And that's one of the things that we wanted to make sure we addressed right at the beginning. We have a program that's called Maternal Care Advisors. And these are nurses that will contact all of the OB patients that would be delivering at the women's hospital. We do about 3,200 deliveries a year, 3,400 deliveries a year. So they'll contact the moms. And what they've been doing since this pandemic issue with, with COVID is making sure that they're educating them on what the current practice is, what changes you know, did we have to put in place what we're doing to protect them, to protect their baby, as well as their significant other, so that they don't feel like they're being, you know, blindsided, where they're walking in the door, and then all of a sudden, they get told that their significant other cannot be with them or their support person. We have not implemented no support person at all. We do still allow a support person. But we, we have had several of our OBs say that uh, their patients um, have talked to them about that, their concerns that should they be delivering in a hospital. So we put out a, a little video showing them and kind of walking even the news staff, the news commentators through our unit. So what we did was we isolated a certain section of the women's hospital and made that our COVID unit. If we had either a, a patient, you know, under investigation or even a COVID positive patient, they would be in that area that was the negative airflow and it was all kind of boxed in so that it, it gave you the, the appearance too that it was separate and it was secure and separate staff worked in there and as opposed to, you know, working the normal labor and delivery floor. So part of it is transparency. We've got to be able to communicate and be transparent with our patients so that they fully understand, you know, what they will be facing. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like part of that transparency is is educating, you know, everyone as well on sort of the practices and the measures and precautions that you guys are taking and everything you're doing to sort of keep them safe, which it sounds like you're doing a lot, which is amazing. And it's, it's a basic principle. You have to explain the why behind it. Yeah, absolutely. So you touched on sort of this idea of not being able to have a support person in the actual delivery room with you. And I know in New York City, where I'm from, um, that's been a rule that's been implemented. Can you sort of talk a little bit more about that idea and sort of some of the pros and cons that go with like having someone versus not having someone, you know, with COVID as rampant as it is? Sure. 
and you know, if you look at it, we've we've had situations in our lifetime where we had to provide alternative measures for the support person to be involved in the birth, whether they were off in the military and weren't able to physically be there. And you do that through various technologies, whether it's Skyping, you know, whether it's FaceTime to try and bring them in on that special occasion. But obviously with this, the, the fear and the anxiety of COVID in and of itself adding on the fact that if hospitals, you know, because of their current situation in their region with the pandemic and the amount of positive cases they had, you know, there are areas that had to implement no um, significant others, no visitors at all. There are going to be some concerns from that emotional support or lack of support. But what you need to do is to make sure that your nursing staff caring for that patient know and understand that. Whereas maybe before when their partner was in the room, as well as maybe even a doula, there's a lot of support there. Nursing's role could have become maybe less supportive if you were a labor and delivery nurse, if they had all of those other additional support individuals in their room. Now, you know, look at today and look at where you are in New York if you don't have that. You have to make sure that your staff is picking up those pieces for that that woman that is going through the birth process, because obviously health out- outcomes are improved when you know there is a support person, because you're allowing somebody else to also be involved in even the teaching and education that you're you're trying to accomplish. And whenever you have a, a baby, you know your hormones and what you're going through, you're not as receptive to hearing a lot of things and and understanding maybe because you're overwhelmed, not only just physically, but then with all of the body changes that have been going on. So it it will leave a void. And so we have to do our best to pick up that void. Yeah, I really like that. And that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think, yeah, like you said, it's just important that there's someone in that role, if it can't be, you know, who the, the mother originally had anticipated it would be. I will say one of the things that we did notice, too, was when we only allowed one, the the significant other, and they had to pick the person and they were banded and the whole bit, you know, we were nervous at first because we were full-fledged open. You could have your doula, you could have your mother, your mother-in-law, you know, whatever, as long as the patient and the doctor felt it was safe to have everybody in there. But since we implemented that, I will tell you when it is just the, the birthing mom and her support person, they have loved it because they have felt that they actually got to even have more education and one-on-one time, not only with their baby, but with the staff that's doing the discharge teaching that they wouldn't have missed out on a lot of if they constantly had visitors in their room. So, you know, it allows us an opportunity, you know, to look at that and say, gee, how do we turn this into a positive for the future? you know, by encouraging them to limit, because they're only here for a short time, to limit the amount of visitors. Oh, I love that. I think that's awesome and, and a great way to turn that into a positive. And yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So Deaconess Women's Hospital has received countless awards from modern healthcare on being one of the best places to work. So what are you doing to sort of cultivate such a positive culture? And what do you think other hospitals can do to create the same for their employees as well, especially during such a trying time? I have to say that my staff is unbelievable when it comes to being engaged. We have always 
built our culture foundation on the aspects of explaining things to staff, explaining the why behind something, not just saying we have to change this. It's a regulation. It's a new joint commission or HFAP or health department rule and not allow them the time to understand why it's changing. And so we embedded into our culture to have an atmosphere that encourages staff to ask questions, to be engaged, to understand the why behind everything. I I spend two hours with all new employees. I do um, new hire orientation because I feel it's important for them to understand that as the CEO and chief nursing officer, what I value and what I feel is important for them to be able to contribute to, which only promotes pride, you know, in our workplace. So we've tried to make sure that we are continually um, trying to enhance their professional growth and development as well and giving them opportunities to be engaged so that they're owners, so that they feel part of this culture. I have to say that, you know, with doing that over the last 20 years, RN turnover rate has never, ever hit 2%. So that is something that we're, we're very proud of from that perspective that, you know, at any given time, our vacancy rate is very low. That's amazing. Seriously, that's, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment in and of itself, despite, you know, all the press that, that you get for that. I think that's incredible. And it sounds like that personalized approach you take really shows, shows your employees how much you, you truly care about them and you value them as well as your patients. And I think that will, you know, quickly translate over to the patients is that care. So I think that's amazing. And, and it, it is a direct correlation. You're, you're absolutely right because our patient experience or our patient satisfaction scores are usually 93% for all of the different departments, whether that's the level three neonatal intensive care unit, whether it's my breast center, my cancer program. We um, have definitely been able to show employees too that it's all based on the culture that they help to set. These, these awards, such as, you know, Modern Healthcare is Best Places to Work, it's not my award, it's their award, because what it tells their fellow co-workers is that I care about you, I care about your success as an employee or a new employee, and I am going to set you up for success, whatever that may be. And we talk a lot about that, you know, setting each other up for success. I think that's amazing. So, you know, I want to I want to touch a little bit on sort of the the emotions that that you and your team have had to go through during this difficult time um, with this COVID-19 pandemic. So how are you managing your emotions and your team's emotions and continuing to support your team and have the team support each other and your patients? And also, how are you continuing to lead the hospital forward with all of this? I mean, I can't imagine it being easy at all. So, you know, obviously you have to prioritize. And so certain projects or things that we were working on, we had to put on the back burner because this had to take precedence. And one of the things that we knew we needed from the very beginning was for the staff to to help relieve some of the staff's anxiety about this as well. So communication was key for us in regards to making sure that staff had accurate and updated information we have a, an app. It's our kind of our COVID app. And basically any of the updated guidelines or, or protocols are on there. 
We've sent them rave notices if there's something that they needed to, we felt they needed to know about, you know, right away. Part of it is also making sure that their own personal well-being is taken care of, you know, making sure that they're taking time out because they now, maybe their spouse was laid off or on a, a furlough and their kids are home from school. They're balancing and juggling a lot of things. So it, it takes all of us to be patient with one another and to make sure that we are accessible to them so that, you know, we, yes, we have incident command, you know, every day. And then there's subgroups that are working on things to make sure that, you know, we are prepared. We are very fortunate in our, our region in Southern Indiana. Our numbers are not that high. We're a little bit more of a, you know, in a, in a rural setting. But the key thing for the staff to make sure is that we're also trying to, you know, still have fun with them, you know, still be able to go around and, um, you know, they, they've, they have gotten so involved and engaged in even finding some of their ladies at church or other retired teachers that would make homemade masks. And they get so excited to be part of that team and bring those items in because, you know, with universal masking, not everybody's going to get a surgical mask if they're the support person or if they're going to a new OB outpatient visit for their first time ultrasound, but they still have to have all the safety measures in place. And so part of it is, again, engaging them so that they're not afraid, but making sure that they're allowing their own time to to not feel so isolated because then when they're going home, it's not like you can say, okay, maybe I'm going to go out for a cold beer tonight, um, you know, to get my mind off of, off of things. Your, your cold beer is going to be maybe in your backyard if the weather's nice and you'll still have your, you know, kids probably jumping on you and, and, you know, wanting to have time with you as well. So setting good mental health habits is so important and we have to keep reminding our staff of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it seems like you're you're doing a great job of sort of cultivating this this community. And I like what you said about just, you know, the first thing being getting rid of the fear and making sure people aren't afraid and that then help allowing them to sort of come together and work as a team and connect with their community, whether it's at church or making masks. I think that's all fantastic. And, you know, I hope that's sort of what's happening everywhere because, you know, it is such a difficult and emotionally taxing time that I hope that that's what everyone's sort of doing. Preschool anymore. And uh, they made pictures for us, um, you know, Aww. like banners to say thank you, you know, for our um, frontline heroes and things like that, that we've put up. And I think that helps to bring that sense of, you know, normalcy to the employees when they see that as well. And that mother then that whose child made that big banner is, is hanging up somewhere for everybody to see. I think that's that's just amazing. And even what I've been seeing all over the news of the ways people have been coming together, whether it's sending food and like you said, making banners and everything like that to just to show our appreciation because you guys are really keeping all of us safe. So thank you again for that. I want to jump topics a little bit and, and sort of talk about you personally and, and your career because a big focus of this podcast is really career development. And I know it's sort of a difficult time to to think about this, but I'd love to hear sort of, you know, you started out as a nurse working on the floor and you've been able to grow into this phenomenal CEO role. So how did you do it and what strategies do you have for others working in healthcare who are also looking to grow their careers and, and maybe follow a similar trajectory? 
I'd have to say my my father was a great influence for me. He was a, a carpenter, and I was the first. I only I have one other sibling, uh, an older sister, Denise, who's three years older than me. But a lot of cousins. I grew up in an Italian family, so um, a lot of family gatherings and and things like that. I was the first to go to college and to get my bachelor's in nursing. And I watched my father over the years not only work his normal job as a carpenter, you know, a contractor, but then at nighttime after work, go and build my mother's dream home in the suburbs because we originally lived on the south side of Chicago. And that man's work ethic was something that resonated with me. And he always told me that I could do anything I wanted if I set my mind to it. He didn't have any sons. And so he was excellent at call it fathering, you know, how to how to father a, a daughter and basically told me that if I was going to put my name to something, I'd better be able to stand up to it and be proud of it, that you don't want to do anything that is half as good or where you did not put your full effort into it. And that stuck with me because I can remember stories of my dad just because something would be a quarter or inch off or half an inch off where somebody else building it may have not even, you know, would have covered it up. No, he's going to start it from the very beginning until it is, it's perfect. So I kind of used that after I graduated and, and got my first job as a pediatric nurse, I always wanted to improve things. I thought it, that, that it was important that, you know, if I saw something that just wasn't exactly the right way or that we could have done maybe a little bit better with, I would bring those things up to my supervisors and my managers. And I was very fortunate. I had a director of maternal child health at that time that really believed in, in me. And, you know, I graduated nursing school back in 1982. And out of the 80 graduate nurses that were starting that summer, there were only four of us that actually had our, our bachelor's degrees. Um, it was just kind of evolving from that perspective. And so she allowed me to get involved in projects that I identified and that I, I wanted to help set up. And so then she kind of took me under her wing and asked me if I would move from pediatrics to the OB side of the world and maternal child health. And so I said, I, I would be happy to do that. That was when birthing rooms were coming out, uh, you know, single room maternity care um, and you weren't necessarily going into the back old labor or delivery room that looked like a, an OR. And I said, I'll do it. But under one stipulation that I at least get to work for eight months or a year in labor and delivery, I need to know it and I need to understand it. I just don't want to come from pediatrics and all of a sudden either be this educator or this person that's going to help bring this new model together if I can't walk in my staff's shoes. So I did that and I gained a, a lot of my own self-confidence that I knew what I was doing and where I wanted to be able to take things. Again, part of my being was to always set my teammates up for success as well and, and involve them in decision-making from, you know, from day one. And so I just kind of evolved into different leadership roles. And it's kind of funny. I used to tease my dad that even though he was a carpenter and he didn't have a son that followed in his footsteps, every project I had involved construction, um, <laughs> including when I was recruited down to Southern Indiana to start the women's hospital. At that time, it was just dirt. It was 32 acres of a cornfield. 
So I think some of the uh, construction individuals and the uh, architects and contractors were a little surprised when I could actually read a blueprint, even though I, I was a nurse. Um, <laughs> so it, 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 was, it was at least helpful that I, I knew what I was talking about and I, I could actually, you know, understand and, and make contributions to that. Oh, I love that. I love the relationship you've had with your dad. And I also think it's really important what you said, just in being a leader to have, you know, gone through and, and been in those in those shoes of your of your employees, because I think it's important to be able to speak to everything that, that they're doing. And, you know, the leaders that I've looked up to in my life, I've definitely, they've been in my shoes. And, and it that that sense of being, you know, relatable definitely makes adds a layer of trust as you're, as you're sort of looking to them for guidance. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you could get one message out there to, to healthcare workers right now, what would it be, you know, across the nation and and even throughout the globe? I would say stay informed, but please don't forget about your own personal well-being as you're dealing with exhaustion, anxiety, and isolation. Talk to somebody and, and make sure that you know, you are, are being truthful and, and honest. And sometimes you have to take that mental moment. Absolutely. And what about a message for the general public right now? I guess that would have to be, um, and I know everybody, you know, keeps saying, you know, be safe, but please, please use common sense as we start to de-escalate as a country with maintaining some of those positive practices that we put in place such as, you know, whether it's hand washing, whether it's masking in certain areas, but to not forget that just because maybe we're opening things up, it means that this virus is, is gone. Yeah, I think that's super important, especially, you know, like you said, as, as they start to open up the country and also even, you know, social distancing too. I think Absolutely. that's been, yeah, a very positive practice that's saved countless lives throughout this. So, you know, I ask this in every interview and, and I, I just would love to hear from, you know, you're, you're such a boss lady, you're a CEO of an amazing women's hospital. So what do you feel is one of many, you know, of course, but one of your greatest accomplishments? I would have to say, and I know this probably isn't what a man would usually address it as because I think men and women leaders look at things a little bit differently as women tend to lead with their hearts. But I would have to say, Raising three beautiful children that understand the value of giving back, whether it's giving back to their community, whether it's giving back to um, to friends. And, you know, I've always believed that, you know, you have to ask yourself, do you, you know, seek success or significance in your life? And, you know, if you're trying to just improve yourself or your current situation, that's success. I want to be successful, you know, but do you strive to do something beyond yourself and and leave some sort of legacy? Then, then you're seeking significance. So, you know, I, I don't teach my children about being successful. I teach them about being significant in life and making life meaningful. And I'd, I'd have to say that that's one of my greatest accomplishments is that they get it. They understand it. I think that's that's beautiful and a wonderful note to end on. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And on behalf of Boss Ladies, I want to say thank you. Thank you to all frontline workers 
who are doing all they can to protect us and keep us safe from the coronavirus. For more information about Boss Ladies, go to www.bossladiespodcast.com. Also, check us out on Instagram at Boss Ladies Podcast. Check back soon for another episode of Boss Ladies. Boss Ladies.